but I, I want to be very careful because I'm not trying to be anti-intellectual here, but there is a great degree to which we have factioned. Uh, the church now is, is so factioned around the fine details, and we have whole denominations that grew up around the fine details of this. And I think there had to be something a, a bit refreshing about being in a time when uh, it's, it's like, oh, you believe that Christ is the son of God? You believe he died uh, on, on the cross for, for our sins? Uh, you believe he's coming again? Hey, you're a believer. I'm a believer too. Let's get together. Let's, let's fellowship. Let's like, there is a sense to which that, that, uh, that just had to have been a uh, very refreshing. And I, I, I get it. I'm probably maybe over romanticizing what I, uh, what I, you know, uh, a little bit here, but I'm very drawn to what we call sort of the paleo Orthodox, uh, uh, Catholic Church that was truly Catholic at that time in the true sense of the Catholic word, right? That was uh, um, meaning, you know, just universal, universal, right? One, right? And and I think there's something that we, boy, if you talk about getting back to something, I think that would be the community to try to get back to. Hello and welcome to Calvary Conversations. I'm Sean LePage the chairman of the Ministry Studies Department here at Calvary University. Today we're going to uh, join the, the uh, other three hosts of Calvary Conversations in a moment, but we're going to continue a conversation we started a few weeks ago about how Christians can live faithfully in a negative world. And if you haven't seen part one, I encourage you to go back and, and kind of get the, the background and the, and the basis for our conversation. But it generally comes from this uh, conversation that's happening that says that at one time, say before the 1990s, Christians lived in a positive world where the church was generally, uh, Christians were generally viewed as good. And and if you were a, an upstanding citizen, you were a member of a church. Uh, but we, we then entered into a different era, an, an era that some call the neutral world, where a church really became less central to American culture. And generally, people weren't negative or hateful towards Christianity, but, but they just kind of took a neutral position uh, regarding uh, the church and Christianity. Um, but uh, about uh, 10 to 15 years ago, something an, another shift took place, and that was that we entered the negative world, where Christianity is now viewed as something negative, something to be uh, to to rid our society of. Um, by by many people, uh, this would be this would be their view, and so we we also talked about. Um, the, the strategy for the church in this negative world. So the first the first part of our conversation was really uh, wrestling with uh, the realities of that world and, and that, that we uh, that that assessment I should say that we live in a negative world. Um, but now we're in this second half. We'll talk more about how we should live and 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 how we can be faithful to God in the midst of this negative world. So we talked about five approaches, and this will set up 
the the rest of our conversation. So let's let me walk through those five uh, quickly, and then we'll get back to our conversation with the other hosts. The first approach that's kind of bubbling to the surface is the synchronized approach, as some call it. So this this would be cultural engagers. These are are clearly the most at risk from the transition to a negative world. It's kind of built on the idea that we live in a neutral world, uh, but they're more aligned with secular political positions, kind of leftist political positions. They've softened their stance on, on uh, flashpoint social issues. Uh, they're, they're more focused on bringing culture to the church than they are on bringing the gospel to the culture. So that's one approach that a lot of a lot of uh, religious or Christian people have uh, promoted. The second approach is the progressive approach. Uh, this is a smaller movement, but it's it's an emerging uh, movement. Uh, th these are um, neo-anabaptists um, and, and others. Um, these are progressive evangelicals or basically the Christian left. And um, sometimes the, these people refer to themselves as ex-evangelicals. Uh, they've, they've either left evangelicalism or even Christianity entirely behind, and they've got something completely new. But they've gone beyond the cultural engagers in becoming largely LGBT affirming. So this is, uh, you know, uh, a smaller group, I would say, but definitely one that's very vocal and getting a lot of attention, progressive. There's also the real politic approach, as uh, uh, Aaron Wren has called it, and uh, this is about 80% roughly of evangelicals. These are the culture warriors or religious right who persisted through the negative world or through the neutral world and evolved toward Trumpist populism, according to Aaron Wren. Uh, and, and so the jettisoned concerned for character in political leaders, some would say, and uh, issues such as abortion uh, uh, remain very important to the real politic approach. A fourth approach is what some are referring to as a separatist approach. So these are cultural engagers in more upper middle class uh, milieu um, who have adopted a separatist kind of approach. Uh, they're they're bent on showing the world that they are not aligned with the so-called Trumpist culture warriors. Uh, they're, they they harshly denounce uh, anyone who might vote for uh, Donald Trump or support Donald Trump. Uh, so they've declared their own culture war, uh, but theirs is against other evangelicals rather than uh, the world or other other segments of the world. The fifth option is what is being called the Benedict option. This this title, this this option is being promoted by an author named Rod Dreer. And uh, Dreer writes this, in the Benedict option, we are not trying to repeal 700 years of history as if that were possible, nor are we trying to save the West. 
We are only trying to build a Christian way of life that stands as an island of sanctity and stability amid the high tide of liquid modernity. We are not looking to create heaven on earth. We are simply looking for a way to be strong in faith through a time of great testing. So uh, Dreer would say that we've lost the culture war and uh, that to some extent we need to step back and 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 not not stop participating in politics entirely, but but to build a, a Christian way of life in our own um, in our own uh, families, our own churches, our own communities. And so that kind of gives you a, a foundation for understanding the second half of this conversation, where we explore how can Christians live faithfully in this new negative world. Enjoy. I look down at as as you've described these, Sean, in the chart you put together, and yeah, there's elements I don't agree with, but yet, uh, given a context, I when you first uh, threw out this topic at us in the article, my mind went to Peter. You know, I more and more as I've seen things go on the last couple of years, uh, Peter talking to people at his time and his culture, and what did he exhort them to do? They didn't disengage. Completely, uh, they were there, but yet they were separate. Be holy as I am holy. Uh, so there, there's an element in which I've really got to exegete the time. You know, we talk about exegesis and understanding the time and the moment. Some of these I go, well, was the 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 moral majority the right wrong in trying to influence the culture? I don't think so. Now. Maybe we took it too far, and that's what we always get to ask of ourselves here. And what's our motive? What's our goal? Is it just to change the here and now? No. But is it to change the here and now? Influence it, I mean? Yeah. So I, you know, there's a there's a part of me that says there's a little bit of all of these, but I don't want to say all of these because there's some of that I don't agree with. That uh, we we need to say, Lord, help me to be salt and light here. While I know this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. You know, we say. Well, as you as you usually do, Mike, you 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 have a a really good uh, balanced and wise perspective of that because because you're right. I mean, I think I think um, except for per, perhaps the progressive uh, yeah, approach, I think I think we could find some valuable aspects in each one of these approaches. I, and that's part of my my uh, my struggle with these five categories is that we might be, we might, you know, uh, we might pigeonhole people. We might pigeonhole even uh, those who who choose a particular response. You know, so uh, so I think that's really good. You 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 brought some good balance to the conversation. Even in the progressive, it's just a little footnote. I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking it differently than maybe what they described it is. <laughs> you know, we, we as the church sometimes we get locked into our traditions which are not biblical but this how we figured out how to work it out and so there are some things that i need to get uh, get rid of that so i can come back to the gospel so even that progressive element i'm going sometimes I, i'm a little too traditional i need to be a little bit more progressive in a good biblical way <laughs> so shoot. yeah that but is, just to be clear you're good, not I, not endorsing yeah. progressive christianity no no just no, to be no, clear. no. <laughs> yeah no, no, no. I, i'm kind of joking well that but, is good but, even as i I look at the synchronized one, um, bringing culture. So the last statement on that was bringing culture to the church rather than bringing the gospel to the culture. And I think we we have to understand right up front that 
the form of church that we have here in our Western context is already a cultural form. Like it's already been impacted and influenced by culture. Right. And so that that plays a role in our response to this as well. Good, good. Mike, Tim. Yeah, Mike, I would go. Uh, so I, I'm I'm on, I'm tracking with Mike. Um, OK, my, my humorous response would be that the Benedict option appeals to be the most because if we're going to live as the Benedict's, Benedictines did, we're going to get a lot of fresh farm-grown vegetables. Um, <laughs> if, if we can't make sense of any of this, at least we could, you know. We I keep thinking of omelets. Anyway, uh, no, yeah. the, 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 I'll, I'll, go for, I'll go a little. Um, so first thing that I would accuse Ren of doing is um, engaging in some logical fallacy uh, stuff. Uh, I, I don't think that he's. I don't think that he's represented fairly several of these approaches. Um, the, the, you know, if you look at synchronized approach, he begins with cultural engagers, and then it ends with bringing culture to the church rather than bringing the gospel to culture. Uh, it, it's sort of like post hoc ergo proctor hoc because some people who engage in cultural engagement. Uh, brought culture to the church rather than bring gospel to culture. Therefore, all cultural engagers do that. No, that's not that's not true. There's some uh, slippery so. slope there. There's some um, uh, uh, you know false causation there. I and I see him building his argument toward the Benedict option without being fully fair to these sides. Um, I think cultural engagers. Um, I think and now I will admit it is very difficult. Um, it's very tempting when you have a deep love for the people in your culture and you see them as valuable people made in the image of God and not the enemy, uh, that it's, it's very, and you want to engage them in ways that are winning. Yes, of course, there will always be a temptation to compromise truth in so doing. But I think that there are a lot of cultural engagers, and I would put Tim Keller actually in this, in this bucket, who have done so with uh, you know, without compromise, or at least without with little compromise. Um, um, and I think that it is, I, I think that people who do that, I think if you look at this, you would have to say that Paul's speech on Mars Hill might fall into cultural engagement. And in fact, I've encountered Christians who believe that uh, Mars Hill was, was uh, descriptive and not prescriptive, that Paul actually compromised his uh, like uh, uh, a gospel approach. I mean, it's it's a strange view, but I've encountered people who are so against cultural engagement. That's how they viewed that. So I think I think it's uh, very important. Like the progressive approach, I'd say on that. Um, you know, anybody who grew up uh, as I did in the highly legalistic church uh, evangelical church movements of the 1970s and 1980s uh, knows that some degree of uh, progressivism uh, was helpful. Um, because there was there was such at least in the churches I grew up in, such a focus on on um, on uh, behavior that things got entirely overregulated and confused behavior, uh, certain kinds of behavior with spirituality. Right, the real politic approach. We had a great conversation before our, our <laughs> talk here, and this is this is something that we're yeah. I'm sure will will continue to rise up in our conversations, and it should. It's an important thing. Um, you know, I shared that I I, I went through a, a long period of time where um, I, I actually felt like engagement in 
in in politics was in, in entirely counterproductive for a believer. But I think that if brought if, if if kept in the right balance, if not relying on the political system to fix things, instead of relying upon God, and um, and his primary vehicle of operation in the world, the church. Um, okay, one can one can one can have a a balanced view of this in which one contributes politically, but understands that ultimately only God can um, and 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 the body of Christ can bring about real change uh, in, in the world, you know? Um, so yeah, there, there is, there is a lot here that is, and, and so what I, what I would say, like, I think it's super important for us to evaluate uh, examples in scripture where Christians lived in post Christian cultures. And we see in Jeremiah uh, when when Jeremiah is writing a letter to the exiles, which, uh, as I've researched this, I believe Daniel himself would have would have seen this, because um, this is written in that in that period, um, and the Lord says to uh, the the Israelites who were exiled, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Now he wasn't talking about intermarrying or marrying. Within faith, but he was saying, Mary, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. So there is a sense like there of be a community within that community. But then he says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you into exile. You know, and we also see like when Daniel, um, oh, when King Nebuchadnezzar was getting uh, ready to uh, to kill uh, all the wise men for not being able to uh, uh, um, interpret the dream. Daniel was very concerned about their lives, not because they were believers and going to heaven, just because he was concerned as a human being about the lives of the other people he was around, right? Would you call that progressive thinking? Would you call that, uh, uh, you know, in the synchronized approach? What about Joseph? I mean, Joseph also rose to a level of high command in a in a in a very secular culture would you call him syncretist would you call him you know soft on sin for caring about the 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 egyptians many you know godless egyptians who were going to die in the famine uh in fact we see quite the opposite is 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 brought about in in, in scriptures so yeah sorry a little bit of a long answer there but um i i just further vibing off of Mike's encouragement to take a balanced approach to analyzing these because yeah, it's, it's not as simple as Ren lays them out here. Yeah. And that's good. I, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I do encourage you to read his article. Um, I, the, the, the chart that I, that I shared with you guys is going to, it's, it's a very much a, 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 a summary of his ideas and thoughts. So, um, you know, definitely not trying to misrepresent him, um, and, and so, uh, you know, perhaps I have, perhaps I haven't. Um, I, I think he was speaking in general terms and, 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 and all that. But, but I, I, I like also what I'm hearing from you guys because, because um, you know, really we, we, we have to go to the scriptures for our, for our uh, responses. That, that's, that's true in a positive world. That's true in a neutral world. And it's certainly true in uh, a, a negative world. And uh, one of the things that that I uh, hoped to accomplish, I, I 
I had this, uh, I shared this same, these same ideas in a, in a class recently. And, and, you know, one of the things that I hoped to accomplish was simply to highlight that, that, um, we, we must have a variety of approaches, you know, uh, when it comes down to it. And if we lock ourselves into, uh, you know, a single simplistic response, uh, then, then I, I don't think we're going to do ourselves, we're, we're not going to do justice to the scriptures. So, you know, as you guys have brought out by talking about Daniel and Jeremiah, and we could, we could, we could add to those lists, a Joseph and others, um, the 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 unique situations that we find ourselves in call for a unique strategy. The the unique people that we find in front of us in a, in a conversation call for a unique conversation. Like Paul says, you know, uh, um, to uh, to season our, our our speech with salt so that we know how to answer each person. Mm-hmm. I think that there's there's an individual kind of uh, um, backdrop to that. To that instruction, you know, we have a unique individual in front of us. We have a unique time in which we live, and so forth. So, so um, you know, as far as say, for example, separatists, Mike brought up that idea. There is a biblical sense in which we should be separatist. Um, that, but, but that often gets, uh, you know, becomes the the what I refer to as the Amish option. You know, where we completely disengage with culture at least as much as possible. And, and, and I don't think that's healthy. And I don't think that's the biblical idea of, of separatist. Um, so, so this is good. We, we, we need to, we need to be driven to the scriptures for our answers and our responses. Let me wrap this up by, can I I say one thing real quick, Sean? Sure. Sure. Um, I just, as you guys, I mean, as as you've all been dialoguing, one of the things that just caught my mind, and maybe you know, maybe we'll have to we'll have to leave it, but perhaps this is a part of the beauty of the body of Christ, where all of us are going to have a little bit of a different response to living in in a world like this, and so some of us may take the synchronized approach, and they're going to be able to reach people that others who take other approaches can't. Some may take the slightly progressive, not straying too far, uh, approach, and they might be able to reach some individuals with the gospel that those who synchronize can't. Somebody may, some people may take the separatist, or I mean, some Christians may take the monastic approach. They might be able to reach people with the gospel that nobody else can. And so within the, I mean, within the overall structure of the body of Christ, as long as we're being biblical in our response is it okay that there might be people who take all of these in one way shape or form well i would i would say i i don't think it's possible to take all of them uh maybe maybe pieces and parts but i don't think it's possible and i don't think it's the the right response i think the right response is to go to scripture and and uh, what what i believe is that in our time, we're seeing uh, the development of a cultural situation, uh, a context that is very similar to the context in which the first century church uh, was born and and thrived, actually spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. Our culture is very similar to that culture. Um, now, ours is post-Christian, arguably, 
theirs was pre-Christian, and that's a major difference. But but generally speaking, there's there's a, a very broad um, multicultural, uh, uh, you know, um, um, you know, many many religions, many gods, uh, many worldviews that we're dealing with um, more so than what we would have experienced during the positive world in America. And frankly, I think the positive world was an anomaly as far as church history, because most Christians have have never experienced a positive culture, maybe a neutral, uh, but but most Christians have, did not experience a positive world. And right. so I, I, I think we, we 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 were kind of desensitized by that and we and we expect it. But but that's that's unusual. That was an unusual time that I think was was the the you know the 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 residual effect of the great awakenings and and all of that. We had a we actually came up with a, a Christian culture. So so that's unusual. Negative world is normal for most Christians throughout church history. And so what what I what I advocate for is that let's let's go back to the scriptures. Let's look. Let's look with fresh eyes at the at the way that the first century church uh, dealt with the the animosity and the and the multiple different perspectives and everything that they had to deal with in in bringing the the gospel to uh, the world of their time. So you guys pick that apart. Where am I wrong on that that approach? And if I if you you know if I, if I'm right that that uh, that our culture is very similar to the first century culture. What aspects of the first century church do you think are most critical for us to to uh, recapture or 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 emulate? As I've already <laughs> said, relationships. Relationships. Uh, tell me again what you mean by that. So, well, I mean. <clears throat> The first century, the first century church is not bound together by a a constitution or a building or a governing body. You have a group of people who are bound together by their shared belief in the resurrection of Christ. And the primary thing which binds them, the primary thing which binds them together is simply the relationships that they have with one another. We don't see we see them meeting day by day in the temple courts. But maybe it's an argument from absence, but we don't see them. You know, they met at nine o'clock at, um, you know, and uh, they were there for an hour and a half. And so but there's overall there's a an, an incredible emphasis on the relational characteristic of of the early church. They knew each other. They they brought things and they sold things and they shared with one another and they they had meals together. They met in each other's houses. That's just over over everything is the relationship that they had with one another, um, as okay. opposed to say, you know, a program or et cetera. The power of community and and family. Good, good. What else, guys? But I, I think also think a... there was. The fact that the creed had circulated well before uh, it, it had, well before the church councils, sorry, this will sound a little negative, but well before the church councils decided to get their hands on them and litigate them to death and, you know, and analyze them to death. The fact is that the creeds, uh, the creed uh, had circulated uh, as a, uh, just, it, it, it had or 
developed organically and had circulated among the early believers as a way of expressing who they what they believed the person who they believed the person of Christ was and what they believed the work of Christ was. So we see a community who was gathered around the person and work of Christ who had not um well, I, I want to be very careful because I'm not trying to be anti-intellectual here, but there is a great degree to which we have factioned. Uh, the church now is, is so factioned around the fine details, and we have whole denominations that grew up around the fine details of this. And I think there had to be something a, a bit refreshing about being in a time when uh, it's it's like, oh, you believe that Christ is the son of God. You believe he died uh, on, on the cross for, for our sins. Uh, you believe he's coming again. Hey, you're a believer. I'm a believer too. Let's get together. Let's, let's fellowship. Let's like, there is a sense to which that, that, uh, that just had to have been a uh, very refreshing. And I, I, I get it. I'm probably maybe over romanticizing what I, uh, what I, you know, uh, a little bit here, but I'm very drawn to what we call sort of the paleo Orthodox, uh, uh, Catholic church that was truly Catholic at that time in the true sense of the Catholic word, right? That was uh, um, meaning, you know, just universal, universal, right? One, right? And and I think there's something that we, boy, if you talk about getting back to something, I think that would be the community to try to get back to. And I think that's, clo that's closer to the New Testament biblical communities. And yes, we see they have problems and divisions and in, 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 in and factions and infighting but boy we've multiplied that by thousands today i think yeah good mike what else uh, you know, the uh, church should be different in the world we're all arguing for that i i think of jesus statements uh, i heard someone read a book by the by the author where he he focused in on statements that jesus made in the new testament they're primarily in John, the same form. My disciples, you'll know my disciples. Um, Luke 14 says, you know, unless you hate father or mother, sister or brother, uh, you cannot be my disciples. Really? Um, so it, 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 we have a cultural context to come back and make sure we're keeping the main thing the main thing. I pastored up in Wisconsin, up near Green Bay, and remember that saying that, Vince Lombardi coming out with the football saying, gentlemen, let's go back to the basics. This is a football. Uh, and so we have a good cultural context to say, what, what is the main thing? Culture changes around us, but we better not change what's most important. And so Jesus' statements, you know, we've already said them. You know, he says, you'll know my disciples because they love one another, John 13, because they abide in my word, John 8, because they bear fruit from abiding in me, John 15. And because they are one in me, and that's not an organic, meaning we're all in the same church, uh, maybe following the same creedal statements there. You, you introduced that, and we have different debates on some things, but but yet the focus is on Christ and who he is. So it, it, it's an opportunity for us to make sure we're doing that, which is most important. Not They'll know my you're, you're my disciples because you build a big church. Oh, wow, people aren't... We're, you focused earlier, Sean, remind us of the nuns. Oh, wow, they, they just aren't coming anymore. Well, you know, what's our goal? Yes, we should be salt and light and attractive to the world, but why? Because we're like Jesus, and we're doing what he wants us to do, ultimately. 
Good. I like that you use the word opportunity because I do think that um, if Rin is right and we live in the negative world now, uh, the church should see it as an opportunity, uh, an opportunity to to um, to to recalibrate according to the scriptures. Maybe some of uh, some of the church culture that we've adopted over the years, and to recalibrate according to the scriptures, and then just to say, God, how do you want to use us during this time? And, and and how shall we then live? So, uh, and I and I thank you for listening uh, to this program today, gentlemen. I thank you for participating in the conversation. I thank you, listener, for for joining us for this conversation. And I really hope that you will participate in this conversation. Uh, th- there are links below for you to do that. Um, but I I just want to leave you with this question: of what does it mean for Christians and for the church? to live in the reality of the negative world. Uh, how shall we represent Christ in our time? And uh, I hope, like like Mike said, I hope you see it as an opportunity to glorify God. And, uh, you know, the, the the light shines brightest when when it when it's dark. So maybe that's the uh, that's the right perspective to have. So, again, thank you for uh, uh, joining us for this conversation. And uh, have a wonderful day and grace and peace to you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Calvary Conversations, a service of Calvary University in Kansas City, Missouri. We invite you to participate in the conversation by contacting us through the Calvary University website, calvary.edu, or by calling us at 816-322-0110. Join us again next week for another Calvary Conversation.